I'm Josh Porter, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is the final entry in our Advent series, Always Winter, Never Christmas. Uh, On Christmas Eve, uh, ordinarily, traditionally even, over the last seven plus years of Van City Church, I don't approach the podium, if you like to call that, with some kind of 45-minute exegetical deep dive into the book of Romans or Greek, even like some kind of Greek word study through the nativity story. Like I said, a lot of kids in the room, parents wrangling said children, and we spent a lot of the evening singing and eating and celebrating as it should be. That's on purpose and not just because we're crowded in here with a bunch of kids with short attention spans. So what to say with precious little time on this night, which is uh, admittedly unlike any other night of the long calendar year. I thought a lot about it and I decided to begin here. What qualifies as a Christmas movie? (laughs) This is a hotly debated topic, which is funny. And uh, many in the world, and dare I say among us tonight, are wandering the Christmas season uh, with a understanding of what makes a Christmas movie that is either sadly mistaken or else willfully incorrect, but I am the self-appointed pastor of Christmas, and I am here to proclaim the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's actually wonderfully uncomplicated. A true Christmas movie meets two very simple criteria. You ready for this? One, at least 95% of the film's runtime is set during the Christmas season, and two, Consistent, sustained Christmas ambiance, visuals, and music throughout the film. So let's use this criteria to evaluate a few beloved classics. Yes, we're really doing this on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Home Alone. That's easy, right? An easy A+. Film opens on the evening of December 23rd, concludes on Christmas Day. That makes the entire runtime of the film set In the Christmas season, there's Christmas lights and trees and wreaths everywhere, snow, a a nativity scene, sweaters, red and green, everything, and poinsettias everywhere. The soundtrack, as you know, includes the Drifters' wonderful version of White Christmas, as well as Oh Holy Night and Carol of the Bells and Please Come Home for Christmas, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, and more. It goes on and on, and John Williams' score is so festive and nostalgic, it blends seamlessly with the Christmas carols. So there you go. Movie set entirely within the Christmas season, ample Christmas ambiance, visuals, and music throughout. It is a Christmas movie. The same can be said of obvious entries like Elf, or A Miracle on 34th Street, or The Muppet Christmas Carol. Wow, lots of love for The Muppet Christmas Carol, yeah, which it's a beautiful thing. But it could also be said of offbeat classics like 2015's Krampus, or Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, or my, wow, okay. Or my personal favorite, Gremlins. That's right. But, but, here is where pop culture gets it wrong. You ready for this? Take It's a Wonderful Life, for example. Again, we are doing this. In It's a Wonderful Life, you get a brief four-minute opening credits and setup that takes place on Christmas Eve. Then, there is a relentless slog of an hour and 12 minutes, zero Christmas whatsoever. Just a bunch of stuff about a bank and a financial crisis and some of the hammiest acting that 1946 had to offer, even by 1946 standards. 
And yes, it's true. The last 58 minutes of the movie are technically set on Christmas Eve, but there's virtually no Christmas imagery or ambiance or music at all until the final moments of the film. Essentially, there's kind of some Christmas decorations and a few mentions of Christmas within the 47% of the movie that actually is set during the Christmas season. So forget 95%. I mean, the minority of this movie takes place on Christmas at all, and then you get like a 10-minute sequence at the end that's kind of Christmassy. So that one's easy. It's a Wonderful Life, not a Christmas movie. It is not unlike, say, Iron Man 3 or Prometheus or, you know, Silver Linings Playbook or Die Hard, you know. It's a Wonderful Life is a movie with a few scenes set during Christmas and or an occasional Christmas decoration in the background. Not to mention the fact that It's a Wonderful Life was never actually intended to be a Christmas movie by the filmmakers. I'm not sure if you knew that. It's, it slipped into holiday TV programming during the 70s because the copyright lapsed with the studio and it was cheap to put on repeat for cable networking and we culturally began associating it with the season. Anyway, now that I've turned a few of you against me, why, oh why, did I burn up the first five minutes of my shortest talk of the year? <laughs> With all that, what does it matter, really, whether a movie is or isn't a Christmas movie? I mean, why is that something about which one would argue in the first place for fun or seriously? Those of us who love this time of year, there are lots of things that we do to steep ourselves in the story of our own Christmas. And movies is a big part of that for many of us. So we watch the movies that we've watched every year since we were kids. We eat the same kinds of foods, continue in the same traditions handed to us by our parents and grandparents. And then we invent new rituals for our children. And we echo these traditions throughout their formational years. And perhaps they will bring the same movies and desserts and ice skating Saturdays or whatever it is into their own homes on a day years from now and thus immortalize our Christmases together so that they carry on long after we're gone. We care about things like what makes a Christmas movie because we want to steep ourselves in a story that comes to life for such a brief time at the end of every year if we take the time to fan that little flame of a nostalgia. So every single year, for some of us anyway, Every single year, Kevin gets left home alone. Buddy spins in that revolving door. Tiny Tim gets well. The Mogwai eat after midnight. We steep ourselves in these recurring scenes, not just because we actually enjoy at least some of these movies for reasons that transcend nostalgia, but because not unlike, you know, Bing Crosby or Nat King Cole's voice on the radio, these things remind us of a story that we live and relive. Last night, I was watching the uh, 2005 movie The Nativity Story with my kids. In the way of Bible movies, it's actually pretty good. I don't know if you've seen this thing. No Bible movie is like a flawless succession of historical accuracies. I don't know if you know that. But as far as Bible movies go, this one's pretty good. So my kids know the Christmas story very well. We've been observing Advent together and reading from the scriptures as a family and here at the church on Sundays as long as they can remember. But to actually see the story is something really different. So when they saw scenes depicting Rome's oppression and taxation of Israel, or even Herod's decree to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, they were appalled. They were outraged. How can they do that? They were shouting at the television. Beck even said in his outrage, this is not fair. And I said, they were waiting. They were waiting to be rescued from all these things. And the film makes 
this abundantly clear, the despair of God's people, so that eventually when this dirty, disheveled shepherd, haggard by time and hopelessness, sees the newborn that an angel had promised that he would find, the shepherd in this scene, this beautiful scene, extends this trembling hand to the infant, but stops short, overcome and unworthy to touch him. This is a story about waiting that God's people told and retold and lived for years, for generations, and now we tell the same story. And yes, of course, we populate this season with electric lights and candy canes and Kevin McAllister, but if we let it, our nostalgia can become married to this story that we live in the cold of winter, in the cold of waiting, as we burn the candlelight of hope. And remembering stirs something in us, in our hearts. For weeks of Advent, we have made space to acknowledge the darkness of a world broken by sin and suffering and evil. But tonight is about turning away from the darkness to revel in the light. God has come to save us. Emmanuel, God with us, not distant, not aloof, not unconcerned. He came to save us and he is coming again. And look, more than two millennia later, here we are, Every one of us, every member of our little family who has put our faith and our lives under the kingship of Jesus, it was Jesus who came to us in the darkness of our long winter. It was Jesus who peeled back the shadows, who brought forth a beacon of light, who lit the only flame of hope. This is about God's story. As ancient as in the beginning God created and yet as wonderfully specific and ongoing as, quote, he will save his people from their sins. And that includes you and me. To this purpose, Jesus arrives, unexpectedly and astoundingly counterintuitive every step of the way, a refugee baby rather than some kind of heavenly warrior, a peasant stonemason in a small obscure village rather than a royal prince in a palace. God is surprising like that, subversive that way. And to that end, God surprises by reaching for the most hidden, most broken aspects of our stories, whether defaced by our own mistakes or by the horrible things that have been done to us, and he repairs and restores and he brings dead things back to life. He saves his people from their failures and from the collective human failure that has ravaged the world as we know it. In the story, the writers of the scriptures, they set the stage in beautiful detail at the outset of, of the story about Jesus. This is about Jesus, yes, but it's about you and it's about me. For you and I, this idea of being rescued is about much more than some conceptual debt that has been lifted from our ghostly shoulders post-mortem, that we might inherit some kingdom in the clouds post-death. This is about being rescued in the here and now as well and in the future freedom, and what Jesus called life to the fullest. Christmas is a window into the future, the gentle flicker of a hope that will one day become a glorious flame to envelop and redeem the entire cosmos. It has to do with the story of the Bible, the way it ends in something called the renewal of all things. When Jesus returns and death is undone and sin and suffering and evil are destroyed once and for all and the loving goodness of God covers every square inch of the universe forever and ever, amen. And we are, quite obviously, not there yet, but we do 
see glimpses of that future in the here and now. And I would argue, especially if we allow ourselves to see them during this season, we see kindness and mercy and self-sacrifice and reconciliation and generosity, even peace on earth, little corners of the earth anyway, but we see it just the same. Hope is still here, and from that hope springs a wonderful anticipation for our hope on a coming day will be brought to fruition and to completion when the awful thorns and brambles of sin and suffering will be pulled up from the world by the roots once and for all. And Jesus, the mighty King, God with us, will crush evil and death in triumph and sin, evil, suffering, and death shall be no more, period. And we know this because of Christmas, the advent of hope. Before disciples of Jesus, hope continues to glow like a candle which cannot be snuffed. We gather around its gentle flicker as a reminder of that hope, the promise of God. The gift-giving aspect of Christmas sometimes gets a bad rap. And sure, excess, materialism, consumerism, those are all relentless evils. For more on this, see the excellent Christmas film, Jingle All the Way. <laughs> but gifts... Gifts in and of themselves, I think, fit the season quite nicely. Jesus came for us, for our sake. You know, the bumper stickers have long argued Jesus is the reason for the season. And in a certain sense, that's true. I get it. But it was God's love for us that brought him low to the manger. He came to save us, to save his people from their sins. And he has. Repeat the sounding joy. He has. No suffering, no hardship, no sickness, nor death can repeal the promise and hope of Christmas. He came to save us, and he has. Repeat the sounding joy, he has. Let's pray and invite God's Spirit to fill this room and our hearts as we celebrate Christmas together. Thanks for listening to Van City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Vancity financially at vancity.church/give.